Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millennial Money Professional. My name's Devraga, and I'm your host. And in this episode, we will discuss about credit ratings agencies and how they actually work. Now, you may have heard when they say stuff like company X has a AAA rating, for example, what does that actually mean? Where does it come from? What are the ratings letters mean and how these decisions are being made and who actually makes these decisions? There's a lot to cover in this episode. Now, the thing is, this is very different to a credit score, which I've covered in episode 57. So if you're interested in credit scores, feel free to go back and listen to that episode. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three main aims, education, empowerment and entertainment. Now to the main topic, what is a credit ratings agency? Now, this is basically a third-party company which assesses and analyzes the financial strength of a company or government entity. They want to make sure those entities are able to fulfill their debt obligations, their interests, and their principal payments. The rating assigned represents the level of confidence that the entity will pay back its debt obligations. The higher the rating, the more the confidence. Essentially, it assesses the level of default risk for an entity. Now, there are letter ratings, which we'll go into later in the episode, which represent the credit rating for the entity. The entities that issue debt can be companies, governments, not-for-profit organisations, or special-purpose organisations. Now, who gives out these ratings? There are generally three big ratings agencies, but actually, there are a lot of companies that do them, but as always, they're the dominant players in the industry, that is, the big three. Now, we can call them the big three who control about 95% of the ratings agency business globally. And that's phenomenal. And also can easily highlight the huge conflicts of interest. And we'll go through that later in the episode. The three big ratings agencies are Moody's Investor Services, mainly based in the United States, Standard & Poor's, and this is where the S&P comes from, but that's in a different context, also based in the USA, They both control about 80% of the ratings market. The third one is the Fitch Group, which is based in the USA and London, which cover around 10 to 15% of the market. Now, the rest of it is played by smaller players in this field, such as Morningstar, who are quite prominent, but just don't hit the top three. And the USA government, for example, recognises the big three nationally as part of the nationally recognised ratings organisations way back in 1975. So what's the history behind ratings agencies? Now, basically, bonds were the first types of products which were rated in 1909 by actually Moody's. This was publicly available information. Then other ratings agencies followed. In the 1930s, the US government passed a law which stated that banks can't invest in bonds which didn't have a rating or had a rating which is very low. 
This made sense because a bank is using our money, the public's money, in the accounts to invest it into assets like bonds. The last thing they want, and we want, is banks to misuse the money and then invest in speculative, low-rated bonds and then lose the money altogether. Now, I've discussed this concept called fractional banking before in previous episodes. Then the credit ratings agencies became the norm. More specifically about Fitch, which was founded in 1913, they published the Fitch Stock and Bond Manual and the Fitch Bond Book. Fitch then introduced the rating system AAA through to D system, which we currently being used. Then Fitch merged in the 1990s with IBCA of London, a subsidiary of a French holding company called Fimilac SA. Then they acquired other ratings agencies such as Thomson Bankwatch and Duffin Phelps Credit Rating Corporation. Now they operate in the field of enterprise risk management and data services and the finance industry training. They acquired Canadian company Algorithmics and have created an arm called Fitch Solutions and Fitch Learning. And the market cap for Fitch is $2 billion. More specifically, let's talk about Moody's Investor Service. In 1900, John Moody and Company published Moody's Manual of Industrial and Miscellaneous Securities. That manual had basic stats about companies, similar to what we have today on Yahoo Finance, for example. It was a nationally syndicated publication. In 1914, Moody's Investor Services began, and at that time, they provided almost all of the ratings for US government bonds. In 1970s, they began rating bank deposits, and then they became full-scale like they are today. Their market cap? $62 billion. And even more specific... S&P Global. In 1860, Henry Varnum Poor published The History of Railroads and Canals in the US, which was a precursor to pretty much everything else we came after this. In the 1900s, they published the Standard Statistics Bureau. They published data on corporate bonds and sovereign debt and municipal bond ratings. Then Standard merged with Poor's ratings agencies in 1941 to form the new known S&P, Standard and Poor's. McGraw-Hill Companies acquired it in 1966, then rebranded it as S&P Global, or SP Global. This happened in 2016. In 1957, they introduced S&P indices called S&P 500, which then became an economic indicator around the world. And now most markets around the world have their own S&P index. Market cap, $126 billion. Now, to highlight all of this together, let's use an example. Amy owns company XYZ. The company produces beach products and is located in Melbourne, Australia. Amy has an excellent business model with a combination of physical stores and also online sales and shopfronts. She is a pretty large business. She approaches a credit ratings agency because she's seeking more investment or planning to issue a corporate bond. The credit ratings agencies go through their process and find their financials are in good order. The company is in a bit of debt, which is not much but find they're easily able to pay them off in relation to their income and capital assets. Therefore, their debt-to-income ratio and debt-to-asset ratio is quite low. This gives company XYZ a great rating, which means she can then issue bonds to raise capital. This puts their bonds in a good light, so investors feel confident they will get their money and therefore invest in those exact same bonds. So what's the role of the credit ratings agencies? The whole point of it is when companies or governments sell their assets or bonds or try to raise money, they ask you, the investor, to part with your money. 
There has to be a way for investors to find out, okay, is this legit? Am I going to get my money back? Or am I going to lose my capital? And what's the risk? So the role of a ratings agency is to provide an independent opinion or assessment of the investment product. So it gives investors some sort of barometer of where they stand and if they were to invest in that product. And generally speaking, if a credit rating agency randomly assigns a rating which is completely false, then they can be held liable for that mistake, especially if it's intentional. This comes under common law in Australia and has been confirmed by the federal courts in Australia. The way it also works is the entity that wants the product rated, they have to pay the ratings agencies for that rating. So you can see how this can be a clear conflict of interest. Part of the process of rating a product is to assess its structure. The agency may provide advice on how to structure the products. One of the advantages of ratings agencies is they rate products all over the world. So emerging markets find them very useful. This way, globally, emerging and frontier markets can attract local and international investors because otherwise, such markets will find it very hard to gain traction and get capital to allow them to grow and develop. So the ratings agencies rate these products in emerging economies so that investors have a bit of a barometer on what the quality of those investments are. So what are the benefits of ratings agencies? To use an analogy, before you buy a car, you need to find out a bit about the car. You need to make sure it's roadworthy and maybe an RACV check or equivalent state authority road testing. You wouldn't want to buy a car without doing it to make sure it checks all the safety and roadworthiness box. A similar thing before buying a home. You get a building inspection. You get a pest inspection and do your due diligence before buying a home. Now, I've done episodes on this before. So if a company or government issues products investment-worthy products, then they will need to get it rated by the ratings agency. This protects the issuer and the investor. The ratings happen using a standardised method, so we're all aware of the ratings these products have used. Then investors can use the rating as a mechanism to make the due diligence on whether an investment product is suitable or not. Of course, they need to do a little bit more research on it as well. Let's use an example to highlight this principle. Amy is an investor currently residing in Australia. She's currently looking to invest overseas and has noted at specific emerging markets. She singles out three different markets, Brazil, Mexico, and India. She notes India has a rating of triple B. Mexico also has a rating of triple B. But Brazil has a rating of BB minus. This means for her, India and Mexico have a lower default risk when compared to Brazil. This is if she's thinking of investing in those countries as a whole. Within those countries, she will then need to make a decision which investment product to invest in, and those products may also have a rating. So in this case, Amy may choose an investment destination based on ratings, then focus a bit more in depth about it as to which particular investment she is going to invest in within those broader markets. So you can see how beneficial ratings can be to your investment decision. Now here are some of the ratings for other economies using the system of Standard & Poor's Ratings Agency, which is the most common. Australia currently has a AAA rating at the time of recording this episode. Canada has a AAA rating. USA has a AA plus rating, which I found quite surprising. The US doesn't have a AAA rating. The UK Double A, not unusual given the economic disaster that has been the UK over the last few years. South Africa, triple B plus. Kenya, double B. And Argentina, triple C.
Now, we'll go through the grade system a bit later in the episode, but essentially, A is the best, and C and D is the worst. And B just means not bad, a stable outlook, and maybe investment worthy. So, what are the problems with ratings agencies? Just like any agency which takes money to give a rating or any product or services, this can be huge conflicts of interest. Here are the top four. Basically, the agencies charge the issuers of investment products and also the investors for their services. Issuers pay the agencies for their service and they prepare a report and provide an opinion on the risk profile of the investment products or company itself. Does this mean the issuer can issue subtle pressure to get a better rating and that rating is not genuine or deserved? And likewise, investors pay the credit agencies for detailed reports. Does this mean some reports are only released with payment, which means investment is not widely available for investors? So there is a bit of conflict of interest here. Number two is ratings between asset classes are not equivalent. This is a big problem. If you rate a stock or a company versus a bond versus a corporate debt or sovereign debt at the time, then it doesn't do it justice. A sovereign debt in Australia usually would rate very highly compared to corporate bond or debt markets in the same market, for example. Number three is ratings changes are sometimes delayed. And this is a big problem. If your rating is not updated all the time and it isn't constant or instant, then investors may be using an outdated rating to make their decision, which defeats the purpose of having ratings. Ratings downgrades are controversial, so sometimes agencies may delay and may have an R effect. And of course, all the credit agencies got it wrong during the GFC 1.0. I'll talk about this a bit later in the break. So what does a credit rating system mean, and is there various codes? The thing about this is each credit rating agency has a slightly different rating structure or tiers of ratings. And I'm not sure if they're equivalent to each other. They may be, they may be not. I'm not sure. For example, S&P and Fitch use capital letters for their ratings, such as AAA is best, B is average, C is not great, and D's default risk is guaranteed. Then between AAA and B, there's AA and A. Between B and C, there's B and B. Between triple C and D, there's double C and C. Now, don't ask me why, but Moody's use a slightly different nomenclature. Instead of capitals, they use first letter capital, then every other letter is small case. So they would be capital A, small a, small a, versus capital B, small b, small b, versus capital C, small c, small c, and so on and so forth. Why? I don't know. And to complicate things, sometimes there's a plus symbol and sometimes there's a minus symbol. So a double A plus is better than double A minus. Now, let's take a quick break before we're all sort of confused about these ratings. And then when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about what exactly happened in 2008 GFC 1.0 and why a lot of these ratings agencies got the whole situation completely wrong. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, welcome back. So what actually happened in 2008 and why is it so controversial when it comes to ratings agencies? Basically, lending standards in the 2000s were really relaxed in the US. This allowed people who couldn't buy or afford to buy a home borrow money to buy homes. This led to inflated housing prices. That is, to borrow money was really easy. Capital was just flowing. Then, surprise, surprise, when those people who borrowed money couldn't pay it back they had to foreclose the homes. And this meant distressed sales, or in Australia, we call them mortgagee auctions. Five million to seven million homeowners got affected, and that caused a slide in home prices across the US. Now to the investment bit. When banks lent money out to people, they did some financial acrobatics and packaged these mortgages into something called CDOs, collateralized debt obligations or mortgage-backed securities. Those investment products were repackaged over and over again and made into investment products. Then they approached ratings agencies, the big three, who gave them all great ratings, AAA. This made it look like those investment products, which basically were bad mortgages, look great. Investors bought those products thinking their interest rates will be consistent and they'll get the money back. Now remember, when you buy these products, you're going to get a dividend, you're going to get a coupon, you're going to get an interest rate. Their interest rate only happened if the mortgage holders paid their mortgage. Because essentially what these are, are bad mortgages packaged into securities. Mortgage-backed securities. Eventually, they didn't pay. That is, the mortgages didn't get paid. Investors didn't get their money back, didn't get their interest or their capital, and the rest is history. And when they analysed the ratings agencies, it turned out they gave them awesome ratings which the investor products didn't deserve. Moreover, the investor products were based on mortgages which were sold to homeowners who simply couldn't afford them. So the person buying those investment products didn't really know how the underlying assets were actually quite worthless, something they didn't understand, but they still bought. So in my view, the last defence mechanism, that is only invest in things you understand, failed. They didn't follow that basic premise, that basic advice. And it turns out the person buying these worthless investments were actually pension funds, states, even some countries. So it affected millions and millions of people, directly and indirectly. And sometimes the homeowners bought these junk products without actually knowing what they were. The Financial Services Inquiry Commission said this in their final report, and I quote, The mortgage-backed securities at the heart of the crisis 
could not have been marketed or sold without their seal of approval. Investors relied on them, often blindly. In some cases, they were obligated to use them or regulatory capital standards were hinged on them. This crisis could not have dropped without the ratings agencies. Their ratings helped the market soar, and their downgrades through to 2007 and 2008 wrecked havoc across markets and firms. And there's more. The FCIC Commission found that agencies' credit ratings were influenced by flawed computer models, the pressure from financial firms that paid for the ratings, the relentless drive for market share, and the lack of resources to do the job despite record profits, and the absence of meaningful public oversight. McLean and Nachera blame credit ratings agency lapses on an erosion of standards, a willful suspension of scepticism, a hunger for big fees and market shares, and an inability to stand up to the investment banks issuing the securities. Now, it didn't happen very much in Australia, though. This was a very much a US thing. And because our lending standards down under are much stronger and much higher than the USA. In the US, lending standards have declined since tightened credit markets. So this sort of thing will happen again. And it may happen in Australia too, if we're not too careful. Who knows? By the time this airs, it may have already happened in Australia, given we are staring down the barrel of a potential recession. Inflation figures for May at the time of recording this episode have just been released in early July, and it's pretty surprising at 5.6% 12-month average. Now, things may have changed by the time this airs. Now, what's the difference between credit ratings versus credit scores? This is an important distinguishing factor. They're not the same thing, but kind of the same thing. A credit score is given to an individual. A credit rating is given to an entity, but it can also be given to an individual. The credit score happens if you borrow money, where a credit rating happens if you borrow money and your credit worthiness is measured. And to be honest, it's much of a muchness. For the purposes of this episode, just remember credit scores is for individuals mainly and credit ratings is mainly for entities, corporations, companies and governments. Generally, there are two types of credit ratings, short term, which is one year, this is more used for individuals, and long term, which is basically the confidence that an entity will pay back its debt obligations over the long term. You can imagine... For the latter, credit rating, your financials have to be pretty robust consistently, whereas for short-term credit ratings, you could fudge the numbers in the short term and make it look like you are credit worthy. Now, is there an easy way to tell a good versus bad rating? Now, due diligence is required, so ratings are never a substitute, but usually so-called investment-grade ratings are generally AAA through to BBB. Anything less than BBB is called speculative-grade and non-investment-grade, So basically, it means the risk is very high. And what factors affect credit ratings? The things that ratings agencies, their own formula and modelling, and it's quite complex, take into account is the pay history of ability to pay down debts. Things like bankruptcies, mispayments, delayed payments all affect the ratings. Issuers' cash flow and debt levels, current economic outlook, and the market outlook for governments or the companies. So that's about it for this episode about credit ratings agencies and hopefully gives you a little bit of a glimpse about what that means and how it can be utilised so that you can use that as part of the puzzle for you to make your investment decision. Now, speaking about ratings, remember to leave a five-star rating and five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you may be using or just leave a five-star rating on all of the platforms, that's even better and please leave a positive review. The more ratings and reviews you leave, 
means the more people get access to these podcasts, so please keep them coming. My name's Dev Raga, and this is My Millennial Money Professional. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 